broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Midtown Business Radio. Hey everyone, it's CW. Thank you for checking out the Midtown Business Radio Show. On this week's episode, we focused on workers' compensation. I sat down with attorney and legal expert on workers' comp, Jennifer Smith of Ken David and Associates, a local practice here in the Atlanta area that focuses very heavily in the workman's comp space. We know that workman's compensation can present a significant risk for any business, really, regardless of their work environment. There's obvious work-related accidents, but there can also be some more insidious injuries that can also create the need for medical care covered by Workman's Comp. We get into those. And Jennifer shared some great information for business owners and executives to think about to reduce the likelihood of Workman's Compensation claims, as well as important things to do if and when they do occur. Coming up, Jennifer talks about how important documentation can be in work-related injuries, as well as an important piece of information all businesses need to be sharing with their employees. Check it out. It's huge. I would say, again, when we're advising our employers, that's one of the first things we say. If an employee complains of an injury or something that's going on, the first thing you want to do is investigate. And a big part of that is writing things down, talking to the coworkers that maybe were around the employee even if the employer doesn't think that it's a work injury or even if the employer really questions whether or not this is something legitimate or even if the employee the employer thinks it's minor sometimes the employee would be like you know but it's no big deal i'm sure. fine but getting that information in the very beginning when memories are fresh yeah. even if you don't think it's going to go anywhere because that's what we see a lot of times is where it seems like it's no big deal the employee says i don't need medical treatment right. and then you know, down the road, they file a workers' comp claim. And again, it's been six months. Some of the employees that were there at the time are no longer there. So, you know, the investigation and, as you said, making, writing notes on it and getting statements, that's that's a big thing in the very beginning. If it is determined that it isn't a work injury. In the beginning, if the employee requests medical treatment, and this goes into one of the topics I definitely wanted to hit on today, which is what's called the panel of physicians. And most people sort of know what it is, but it's usually in the break room, it's posted, but it's basically a panel of at least six different positions that the employee can choose which one to go to for their work injury. Now, usually there is like a Concentra um, or one of those urgent care type places that specializes in industrial workplace accidents and illnesses. But that's really important in making sure that employees understand that and that they're not just told to go to a particular. They they are supposed to choose from that list of doctors. I see. And employers who don't have a lot of work comp injuries may not know that. Sure. So we always advise for that to be something to go over in new hire orientation, to post what is called a panel of physicians in a prominent place. Again, break rooms usually sit it's like on pink poster board and the employee chooses which doctor. Okay, out of that list. That's exactly right. In fact, we usually say this is a little bit detailed, but it's really important for employers to actually have them write out which doctor they chose to see, because that can be a debate later on if the employee says, you know what, I didn't have a choice. They directed me to this doctor. And that can be an issue that can be a part of litigation. So stick around. We got the full interview with Jennifer Smith. Coming up next. Good afternoon, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on the Midtown Business Radio Show. Pleased to have in studio with me Jennifer Smith. I met her a little while back and got to talking about what she did, learned that she is an attorney that actually focuses her work in the workman's comp space. And when it comes to the business arena, obviously, this can be an area of exposure depending on the, well, just about any business, really, in, in, in some capacity or another can have a measure of risk for loss related to workers injuring themselves while they're on the job. And so I'm really pleased to have you come by the studio today to share some information about one, how how can businesses go about maybe avoiding this, what to do when things happen. So thanks for taking some time. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. And we were talking before we went on the air today, you mentioned the fact that you had um, been doing your, your legal work for about five years. Take us through what kind of guided you down the path of getting into law, and then out of that, what what made you choose Workman's Comp as the, the place you wanted to be? Before deciding to go to law school, I was actually working for doctors, really big practice here in Atlanta for almost 10 years, and even before that, some 
primary care doctors on the business side. I never really thought that was going to be what I would wind up doing as a career. And I didn't really consider law school until a little bit later. I do have a lot of attorneys in my family. (laughs) But I actually am someone that doesn't like confrontation. So it was sort of an interesting pick for me. (laughs) But I decided to go to law school. I was one of those people that thought I was going to save the world and wanted to work in nonprofit. But when I graduated, the economy tanked. It was in 2009. And with my background in healthcare, it just kind of naturally segued to choosing a firm that did a lot of workers' comp. We also do other civil litigation, but that's a big piece of what we do. And I thought, well, I've been on the physician side of it. I've had my own workers' comp injury before. And so now I'm on the legal side of things. So was it having the folks in your family that were in the law profession that piqued your interest, made you think maybe I should take a look at that? What made you lean into that? Particularly when you talk about the fact that you get a measure of anxiety, if you will, or discomfort in the at least at one point you did in conflict, and then that's where you went. So was it the family folks being a part of it that took you there? I think so. You know, talking to my uncles and then just thinking about supporting a cause and that the law is so much a big part of that. If you think that you're oriented to, I want to fight for people, but that's really what got me interested in it. And I also was interested in theater. And so, you know, when you think about trial and litigation, like it's really theater in in a lot of ways. So I actually really like reading and I was one of the nerdy people in school that actually loved law school. I was going to say for the law school side of things, I remember my father ended up being an attorney as well. And he went through law school late in life and that was the thing. I mean, reading, reading, reading all the case law that you have to read to prepare for class. It's more of an endurance test, I think, going through law school and passing the bar. And so you worked and landed with Ken David and Associates, a firm that focuses, as we were talking about, in the workman's comp space. And in your role, you say you're somebody that is working on behalf of or with an insurer. So the company that's actually providing the workman's comp coverage. Is that what we're talking about? We have two clients, the employer and their insurance company. Okay. Yes. When we talk about workman's comp, what all follows under that? I mean, obviously a work-related injury, but is there anything else? Is it all around whether or not someone gets injured on the job or injured in the workplace in some form or fashion? Are there other things that come under that? That's actually one of the things that I was going to talk about today, because you're exactly right. I mean, people think of if I'm working in construction and I have an injury falling off scaffolding, Clearly, most people would think, yes, that's workers' comp. Right. But then there are other injuries that are a little bit more questionable or that people don't necessarily think. Examples are like cumulative injuries where it's maybe just not a particular accident per se, but just repetitive use, carpal tunnel, working on a computer, or if people that are working more in like manufacturing and they're lifting day to day, they don't have an accident, but it's just that strain over a period of time. In that kind of scenario where we're talking about a repetitive injury that's based on stress over a period, as you're talking about, that leads to an injury, that's got to be a challenging case because how did establishing, okay, was it this activity or were there predisposing things out there where there are injuries in the past that contribute. I'm sure that that's a challenging thing to get into if it's not, I slipped and fell or I fell off a scaffold, as you talk about. That's very true. And that's sometimes why employees don't necessarily think to report it as an injury because they didn't have an accident. So that's one thing that we advise our employer clients is if you have an employee who's at work and they just say something like, oh, my back's really hurting and it's in the middle of a work day, question them on that to find out, was it something that maybe did happen at work, but they didn't have an accident? Or is it something that maybe that they hurt themselves outside the job? We run into that sometimes down the road, the employee's been treating and then the doctor says to them, hey, did you do this? at work, this should be workers' comp. And then the employee's like, I didn't even know to report this. I didn't think about it. Right. So it's true. And then there's also a question of, does the employee have pre-existing problems? Mm -hmm. Under Georgia workers' comp law, it can be a compensable injury even if the employee, and I say compensable, sorry, sometimes I'm going to say legal terms. Um, It just means that would be considered a work injury if... um, That would be covered by workman's comp. Exactly. If they aggravate a pre-existing injury, because you take your employees as they are. So maybe you've hired someone who does have knee problems, pre-existing degenerative arthritis, but then they're walking a lot in their position. And so the... Or they fall while they're at work. And so the job aggravated 
a pre-existing condition. And so at the point that the job maybe aggravated it, then it becomes something that might be covered under workers' comp. So from the perspective of if I'm an employer and I've got employees, I'm sure that for this particular situation, when someone ends up with an injury, whether it's major from an obvious accident or something a little bit less obvious, more insidious, like you talked about, maybe someone has a repetitive injury that that could potentially be linked to work that they're doing in the workplace. I would imagine that writing down some sort of documentation about conversations that occur is somewhat important in the process, particularly if it comes down to someone saying, this is aching, this is hurting, or I got to cut, whatever the case may be. But if we're talking about some sort of complaint that's a physical complaint, that documenting in some form or fashion would be of importance. Would that be true? It's huge. I would say, again, when we're advising our employers, that's one of the first things we say. If an employee complains of an injury or something that's going on, the first thing you want to do is investigate. And a big part of that is writing things down, talking to the coworkers that maybe were around the employee. Even if the employer doesn't think that it's a work injury, or even if the employer really questions whether or not this is something legitimate, or even if the employee, the employer thinks it's minor. Sometimes the employee would be like, you know, but it's no big deal. I'm sure. fine. But getting that information in the very beginning when memories are fresh, yeah. even if you don't think it's going to go anywhere, because that's what we see a lot of times is where it seems like it's no big deal. The employee says, I don't need medical treatment. Right. And then, you know, down the road, they file a worker's comp claim. And again, it's been six months. Some of the employees that were there at the time are no longer there. So the investigation and as you said, making writing notes on it and getting statements, that's that's a big thing in the very beginning. So if you had the luxury as somebody who's working with me as a as a business and you're my legal representation, should I run into a workman's comp claim? And you could hang out with me in the office all the time and just say, okay, this is what we need to do. We need to start the process now. Can you take me through how would you advise them that I'm, if I'm the manager and someone mentions maybe even in, in an offhanded way that uh, this is aching, this is hurting, whatever the case may be, how do you go about documenting it? You want to be somewhat careful about how you proceed with those conversations. One, you don't want to lead someone in thinking, wow, this is a workman's comp claim and now I'm going to be able to do something nefarious. But at the same time, you want to be able to protect both the employee and, and get them care if they need it and get them treatment. Because obviously, if they have an injury that's not necessarily severe yet, you might be able to get some minor therapy or treatment and get them back to work and back to full functioning with limited costs and limited time away from work and things like that. So how do you go about that ideally to be able to get the information that someone like yourself and your colleagues at the practice would would need to be more effective um, in doing what you have to do, as well as not necessarily causing yourself issues in the process. Do you follow me? I I think you're right. I mean, I think that, you know, you don't, an employer doesn't want to necessarily steer the employee into filing a claim if they don't really have one. Employers have a pretty good sense about their employees. Um, You know, obviously hiring the right people is always one of the biggest keys, but they have a good sense. I mean, if they have an employee that's a troublemaker or, you know, just there's a lot of drama, there always seems to be something going on. Those might be the type of employees where you'd be a little bit worried that you put an idea in their head. But I think overall, still the best course of action is to ask the questions and they're complaining of having some sort of, as we said, aches or pains or or some injury to just say, how long has this been going on? When did you first notice it? Do you need medical treatment? And asking the question, you know, did did this happen at work? And just, you know, I I think that always being very direct about that um, is is a good idea. I mean, again, it may come out later that it really was a work injury or it really isn't, or sometimes there are gray lines. I mean, you know, we find that most workers' compensation claims are legitimate. I mean, I think a lot of people think of fraud, and we I certainly have plenty of stories sure. um, along those lines. Um, but most of the time, most of them are legitimate. And, um, you know, they don't become a big deal because the employer is taking the time to say, find out what's going on, get medical treatment if that's needed, and, you know, shows the employee that they're listening and they're concerned and, you know, they're going to work with them to, um, you know, get them either back to work or get them healthy. Um, So, and then, so these are little claims that 
get resolved, the employee's back at work and everything's fine. So, and I, I think that that's usually the case. I mean, sometimes there are, you know, employees that are legitimately hurt. And then it seems like from the employer's perspective, they're kind of dragging it out. Sure. Um, whereas the employee would be like, no, I'm just healing right now. So, but usually we find that communication is, you know, the biggest component of mm-hmm. resolving that claim and getting the employee back to work. We're talking with attorney Jennifer Smith, a workman's comp expert with Ken David and Associates, learning about how to go about taking down some notes that that you can recall your conversations when an employee reports to you that they may be experiencing some sort of physical injury. Even if it's minor, it's valuable to at least jot down some notes about your conversation, what they complained of, if they know of a cause or not. Um, that might come into play later on when it comes time to evaluating what is the the, the measure by which this is handled. Is it a workman's comp claim or is it a general visit to a physician, whatever the case may be? And c- clearly, Jennifer talked about the fact that it is very important for you as an employer to make sure you m- at least make a few basic notes. I guess you just put it in the employee's file for later reference should, should you have to refer to that. Um, it's not necessarily like writing them up. It's just recording a note about your conversation and putting in their employee file, I guess, is what you would do, do with that as far as where you would want to keep that kind of stuff. That's exactly right. Um, Some employers may actually have a separate portion of the personnel file that's for the workers. safety and that kind of thing. Right, the workers' compensation claim. But um, most employers have it, you know, just in the personnel file. Um, Sometimes I think that they're, you know, if they have any experience with workers' compensation claims, maybe they're worried if, you know, if they have notes in there, um, you know, and it's true that if the claim does go into litigation, you know, um, the employee files for a hearing or something like that. Um, but th- that's part of the investigation. And, you know, the employer's attorney would go through it and certainly keep out anything that would be part of the investigation. So, you know, we always say take as thorough notes as possible, get the the witness statements, um, you know, that will all be reviewed by your attorney before it is ever produced for the other side. I see. And so in the case where we do have somebody that they they either had an overt accident or they're complaining of uh, a physical problem that could be related to work that they do in your workplace, what's the process from there? Are you as an employer the one that says, hey, I need you to go over to Concerta or whatever the place may be, the occupational medicine place to get an evaluation? Who initiates that that kind of a visit to, to be evaluated to determine is this a work-related injury or not? How do you how do you get into the process once you've determined that this employee is experiencing something? Right. So when the employee you know reports a problem or a work injury, um, and again, even if the employer is questioning whether it's really legitimate sure. or not, um, you know, we always tell the employer, ask the employee, do you need medical treatment? Uh, this is. Are, you know, a really big component of it because it's okay to send the employee for initial medical treatment um, and then later deny that claim if it is determined that it isn't a work injury. In the beginning, if the employee requests medical treatment, and this goes into one of the topics I definitely wanted to hit on today, which is what's called the panel of physicians. And most people sort of know what it is, but it's usually in the break room, it's posted, but it's basically a panel of at least six different positions that the employee can choose which one to go to for their work injury. Now, usually there is like a Concentra um, or one of those urgent care type places that specializes in industrial workplace accidents and illnesses. But that's really important in making sure that employees understand that and that they're not just told to go to a particular. They, they are supposed to choose from that list of doctors. I see. And employers who don't have a lot of work comp injuries may not know that. Sure. So we always advise for that to be something to go over in new hire orientation, to post what is called a panel of physicians in a prominent place. Again, break rooms usually see it's like on pink poster board and the employee chooses which doctor. 
You okay, know, to, out of that list. That's exactly right. In fact, we usually say this is a little bit detailed, but it's really important for employers to actually have them write out which doctor they chose to see, because that can be a debate later on if the employee says, you know what, I didn't have a choice. They directed me to this doctor. And that can be an issue that can be a part of litigation. So, so it's worth perhaps noting that the employee reviewed the the panel of physicians and made their choice. We didn't recommend they we went we showed them the physician options and they chose this one. That's exactly right. Um, and and also making sure that your panel is um, a valid panel, which means that these are doctors that definitely treat workers' compensation patients, that the all the information on the panel is correct. And there's a few other requirements about having like an orthopedic surgeon um, you know, your employer's defense attorneys will know this and can advise them. But the reason that becomes so critical in some of these cases that either they hire an attorney or it does go, you know, into litigation is that if the panel's not valid or if the employee didn't have the choice that they were supposed to have, they can then choose their own doctor to go to. Um, and then the employer loses a little bit of control over the medical. The thing about the panel doctors is that, you know, those should be doctors that hopefully the business is familiar with, doctors that know what kind of light duty, you know, that business has to offer, you know, that they have good communication with so that they can control some of these claims. I would presume that if I'm in a field of industry where the likelihood of, of an injury goes up, whether my employees are having to handle potentially heavy things or lots of machinery or, you know, things that might squish my toe or my finger or whatever the case may be. I would have presumed that most of those are probably going to have a fairly current panel of physicians on hand because they've just, just by the nature of the business, you're banging things around and working with heavy stuff and heavy machinery. Somebody's probably going to get pinched or something periodically so they would know. But if I'm in a, I'm a general employer and maybe the, the things that would happen would be far more unexpected or of the type we talked about earlier where it was a little bit more insidious, maybe a repetitive injury of some kind that kind of creeps in and begins to affect the employee. Can can you cover yourself with that panel of physicians by saying, hey, if you can go to any Concentra, any urgent care that that we, you know, help them pull up a list of centers that do occupational medicine as part of their urgent care? Can you do it that way? Or do you actually have to have something printed and, and ready to go for them? Um, you really need to have okay. something printed and ready to go. Um, some just because, you know, so much more, it's more prevalent for companies to um, have everything electronic, even if it's something where it's an electronic form, that's okay. I mean, we, it, the main thing is that employees are made aware of it and they have access to it. So, you know, I have a big client that has had a lot of locations and they send out this information electronically where they can, you know, basically open up the panel and be provided with the same information, but that everybody's like, they do a lot of training and they send out a lot of emails that say, you know, if you have um, a work-related injury, report it right away. You know, you get to choose from one of these six doctors um, so that that information is available to them. Okay. So I'm out on the floor, I'm working, I drop this heavy box, smash my foot, I've got a clear injury, and obviously I need to go get care. T take me through the important things to consider once CW is, you know, we, we've identified the fact that his, his injury was related to his work, and, and so he is going to be going for workman's comp covered treatment. Take me through the important elements for the employer to consider, because from what I understand, how you communicate with that employee, how you're staying in touch with them while they're going through the treatment, as well as what you offer to them in the meantime and how you handle the the reduced duties or light duty, whatever the case may be. I know there's some important points there to be aware of. Talk about that. Sure. So, um, you know, once the, the injury happens, um, you know, as we said, you make the investigation um, and get that injured employee to a doctor if they need medical treatment. Um, if it's possible, and it's not always going to be possible, but we always say if a supervisor, you know, can go with the employee to the doctor's appointment, 
that's great. You're establishing right away that, um, you know, number one, that the, that the company cares. You're getting that communication with the doctor. So that's not viewed as a negative if you're hanging out with them while they're getting checked out. No, not okay. at all. And again, it, it, it allows that communication um, with the doctor to say, you know, if the employee needs to be on what are called work restrictions, you know, maybe they can't pick up as heavy of objects, you know, any kind of limitation that the doctor wants to place on them, the employer's there to say, you know what, we think we can accommodate um, these restrictions or not. But again, the, the doctor knows, okay, you know, here's the employer, you know, establishing that good communication, the employee, you know, it's just all that involvement is so important. Um, you know, a lot of times we say that the reason that employees wind up going to attorneys um, and, you know, hiring someone is because they feel, you know, that they're not being listened to or that their company doesn't care about their injury. Um, and this is just one way to show, you know, we're involved. We want to get you better. We want to get you back to work, but we also want to provide you the medical treatment that you need. Um, so again, that's not always possible, but that's one thing you can do. Um, also employers, you know, even if they can't be there, just being in contact with the doctor's office. Um, you know, most doctor's offices are familiar with workers' comp, so they should be sending the notes and sending the work restrictions directly to the employer um, and the insurance company. But, you know, if, if the employer is not getting that information, you know, they can reach out to the doctor's office and say, you know, what, you know, what happened in today's visit? What's going on? You know, how long do you think it's going to take the employee to get, you know, back to regular duty, that sort of thing. Um, also, you know, another thing to do is if it's not already in place, and again, as you said, a lot of companies maybe that don't have a lot of work injuries wouldn't think about this, is to, you know, get the employee drug tested. Um, you know, depending on if there are drugs found in the system that could be you know, number one, it's important to know that, sure. but also, you know, that could be a basis. It could be a basis for denying the claim if it, you know, um, should come to that. But, um, and that's one thing that, you know, we see more with the employers that, you know, are familiar with workers' comp and are, you know, doing either, like I said, construction or like heavy manufacturing jobs, but not necessarily some of the smaller employers right. that don't think about it. They just send them, you know, their employees to, the doctor and don't think drug test. And I come from the healthcare side of things myself. And I know in the, in the medical field, how the clinicians, particularly physicians, but how the clinicians who are interacting with the patient treat them and, and just that interpersonal skill set that they bring can be a big factor in how things go with that patient. Where are they willing to get litigious, even if something goes awry or not? Um, I would imagine that that can come into play here as well in this phase. Once an employee has actually been identified, yes, you have a work-related injury, whether you agree with it necessarily as an employer or not, I would imagine that to some extent how you're interacting with this employee, if you try to keep it as objective and positive as you can, that, that might, in many cases anyway, keep things on the up and up and, and make it less likely that someone, as you talked about, goes to an attorney and tries to see where this can go. That's that's so true. Um you know, and the thing is, is if the employee says to you, you know, the employer, you know, I don't really like this doctor, um, the employee does have a right to make one change, one they call it a panel change. So mm -hmm. if that's the case, you know, they can, they have the right to choose another doctor. Again, you know, the employees aren't going to know that. A lot of employers don't realize that, but they do. And so that would be one way to say, all right, I'm listening to you you're not really happy with the health care you're receiving, you know, pick another doctor that's on the panel and um, we can try them out. Um, but you're right. I mean, when I worked with doctors, it, it was the same thing. It was like the doctors that had the best bedside manner usually weren't sued. That's right. Know? Yeah, so. I think that would be holding <laughs> true here. If you're being as objective as you can, as positive as you can, we want to get you back uh, on your feet and get you back on the job um, as soon as we can. It's probably going to help more often than not than if you're a little aggravated that you're going through this and and you're fretting about what is this going to do to my workman's comp exposure or the rates that I have to pay and things like that it it may end up taking it down a road you don't want it to go down I would imagine 
That's true. And the other thing is, and again, you know, it's not always possible with every employer and we know that, but if there is, and and employers have so many other things to work, to consider, um, not just the workers' comp claim itself, but also, you know, how it's impacting other employees and the overall morale. But we always say, if you can bring your employee back to work in some light duty capacity, whether it's, you know, maybe doing some paperwork, um, answering phones, whatever it may be, that's always going to be better. Not only does it reduce exposure as far as, you know, maybe, you know, income benefits paid out to that employee, but um, employees that are back at work, if they've got to still go back into work, they're not focusing on their injury. And I know this myself. I have a herniated disc right now. And if I were just sitting at home and thinking about it, instead of being preoccupied with my job, I would feel worse. Right. Um, and then, of course, if they're at home watching TV, they see all the commercials for all the various. Um, <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's another thing. But we always say, you know, try to get them back to work. And that's where if you can establish a relationship with a doctor, um, you know, and again, sometimes this isn't practical, but but for those big companies, the manufacturing companies that do maybe have a few more injuries, you know, we always encourage them, if possible, invite the doctors to your plant. Um, it seems crazy. A lot of people, the doctors aren't going to come here. Yes, they are. They want your business. You know, they want to be on your panel. So they will. They will come out to your job and see the types of jobs that you do. Because that's the other thing, you know, we we find that, um, and again, you know, I'm saying this is a small percentage, but some of the employees that go in and talk to these doctors and say, oh, doctor, you know, I have to, you know, lift these big 50-pound rolls of insulation or whatever it is. And so that's all the doctor's hearing, whereas if the doctor knows that, well, no, they have automatic lifts, you know, they're not picking those up manually, you know, that sort of thing. If the doctor's aware of the business and has a really good idea of the jobs there, the doctor's going to know, you know, what kind of... Do you find that, that you're going to get that kind of a visit, a workplace visit potentially from the occupational medicine facilities that are around because that's the space that they're operating within. Is that who would be willing to come and get more familiar with your workplace, I guess? Sure. Um, I've worked both for occupational clinics and a a big orthopedic practice. And when I worked at both companies, the doctors were willing to do that. It's just that most companies don't even think about that. I know know? I wouldn't have. Um, But, but they will, because again, they, you know, they want your business. It's a business thing, but also, you know, it, it, it helps them, you know, doctors usually, you know, they just want to get people better. And um, sometimes they don't like the fact that they're getting, you know, in the middle of two attorneys. Um, In fact, when I left my former employer, when they knew I was going to become a lawyer, they were like, oh, no, you're going to the dark side. Um, attorneys drive doctors crazy. Right. But, um, but you know, the doctor, they want to get the, you know, their patient better. And the more information they have, it helps them, you know, to properly diagnose and, you know, treat, you know, treat their patient. So um, I feel like they, the more information they have, they want that. As I've mentioned, we've been talking with Attorney Jennifer Smith, she's a workman's comp expert with Ken David and Associates, learning the ins and outs of how to handle it should an employee report having uh, either an overt injury or something that could potentially be related to continued stresses or or uh, insidious type of injuries that can occur in a workplace over time, what to do about how to document thing, documenting those as well as how to handle it once the employee is in the process of their treatment and possibly light duty kind of options. Um, I would think that one of the key things that we could talk about before we let you get back to the practice, Jennifer, is relating to just the process of preventing these in the first place as much as possible. I would imagine there's some tips that you have for the employers, particularly for the employees, that the, the workplaces that have a lot more risk for this type of thing. There's some measures that they can take that would help reduce the rate that they run into workplace injuries. Absolutely. Um, I mean, the first thing which I touched on before, which is a great, great in concept, um, but um, anybody that's had to hire people understands how difficult it can be. Um, But it is hiring good people. And it is, 
you know, doing, taking those proper steps. Um, you know, I, I think most companies at this point do this, but sometimes I'm shocked. Um, you know, when you're hiring, when you're looking at these candidates that you really do the Google search, you really do the social media search. Um, I recently had a claim where, you know, as soon, you know, as soon as we get a claim in, in, in our office, um, you know, our paralegals are, are looking these people up, you know, on the internet. And um, this particular claimant, um, the first thing that popped up was that she had committed insurance fraud. She um, <laughs> pled guilty to insurance fraud in another state. Mm. And I just thought if the employer <laughs> had just Googled her, it's, you know, it came up right there and with a picture of her. So, um, you know, that's one of those On things. On the front end when I'm making my hiring choice. Yes, yeah. yes. And I, I, I do think most employers do that at this point. You know, they are checking online and seeing what's out there on, on individuals. But that was just a very clear example of, well, if they had just looked, they would have seen that this lady um, had committed insurance fraud. Um, anyway, but yeah, you know, hiring good people, you know, taking the time. But we all know sometimes people interview fantastic. And then they turn out to be the biggest problem employee. Sure. Um, and and then even at that point, um, and I think, again, most employers think to do this, but it is documenting if you're having problems along the way. Um, because, you know, we do find sometimes that employees that think that they're about to get laid off or terminated all of a sudden seem to have a work injury. Right. Um, you know, so if you have the documentation to show you know, either they were going to be laid off anyway. Um, it wasn't because of the work injury, but either because of business or because of their performance. But, you know, when I go to court, I need to have those documents to show, you know, they were going to lay this person off anyway. It wasn't because they had a work injury. It wasn't, you know, um, for that reason. So, you know, that's one thing. Um, also, um, obviously having safety programs um, really, you know, consistent safety programs, talking about, you know, being safe in the workplace. Um, you know, if you do have an accident, making the investigation. And then if it is, you know, something that's a risk, you know, um, modifying, what, whether it's equipment or the way people go about, you know, performing that particular job. Um, you know, also training, you know, training supervisors on how to handle if an employee does report an, an injury. You know, a lot of times HR you know, human resources, they know what to do. Right. But the, you know, the supervisor, the direct supervisor, you know, over these employees may not. Um, so they may not know how to, you know, handle. And that's kind of the front injury. line of the documentation and the person who's probably there or nearby when something happens. Exactly. That's, that's exactly right. Um, and then another thing is um, a post-offer questionnaire. You've, you've made the offer, but um, it's a questionnaire that kind of goes through, you know, what types of physical limitations that that employee may have, um, you know, where that can um, come into play later on is, you know, if that employee has an injury and trying to figure out if it is pre-existing, or, you know, if they said, you know, I can lift, I can only lift 15 pounds or, or whatever it may be, you know, that they had a, a a prior accident. Um, so that's one thing. And we, you know, my firm has samples to give to employers for that reason. Um, but those are, um, you know, some of the things that you can kind of do on the front end. So it's fair for me to say to you in an interview process, then some version of here, we have to occasionally lift some fairly heavy things. We have to swing a heavy hammer, whatever the case may be, that could be physically challenging or at least potentially in some cases putting somebody closer to that area where there's potential for injury. It's it's okay to ask. I'm sure there's some way to ask it, but is there anything that would keep you from being able to do that? Right. I mean, I think describing what the job is, I mean, that's part of, you know, any, you know, any job interview process. There are certain, you know, with the ADA, there are sure. certain areas. And again, you know, um, employers that are well-versed in HR know this, that that you can't ask. But once you've offered, you know, that's why we call it a post-offer, um, you can ask a little bit more specific questions about physical limitations in history um, just to make sure that, um, you know, the that is the right match and that 
the job can accommodate, you know, if if the person does have any kind of um, limitations. Mm-hmm. So if I have, I guess, part of my job description is important to talk about all the laborious, heavy lifting, physical things you got to do so that if I'm an employee, I would imagine that if I'm an applicant and I'm applying for this and it's very clearly lined out that I'm going to have to do all of this gear and I've, I've got a bulging disc right now that I, that I know about, if I willingly take this in spite of reading this, I would imagine that that could potentially m- make it a little bit less uh, likely that the employer would be as responsible potentially in that kind of case if they're if they're clear about the, the delineating the job I'll, on the application side of things I'm talking about is it possible or do you have to wait until you've hired them to find out oh I've got some limitations right I mean the thing about it is that what what that can do again is if um, you know if the employee did not divulge certain information that comes out later that they had this pre-existing problem um, you know, that is where and and by, you know, if the employer had known that information, then they may have reconsidered whether the employee could perform that job. That can make a difference okay, um, and can be a defense. So tell people where they can go to get more information about you and uh, the Ken David and Associates practice so that if they need some expertise from you all on matters like this, they can get tied in with you. Right. So the easiest way is our website, which is KenDavidLaw.com. Um, and we have a lot of resources for any employers out there. We have an employer's guide, um, which is I, like 30 pages, but it breaks it down. All the, A lot of the areas that we've talked about today, a lot more, uh, more of the specifics about um, Georgia law. But um, we have that. We have, um, you know, information on you know, doctors and trying to locate a doctor in a particular area that, you know, um, specializes in a certain body part. Um, So we have a lot of information on our website for employers. I'm really pleased to have you come out and share this information. It's one of those places of risk uh, for many, many businesses that can really lead to a lot of cost and and frustration. And and some of the information that you shared, Jennifer, I'm sure will help some of our listeners be able to avoid some of those headaches or at least be better able to handle it when it comes along. And then coming up on Thursday, December 10th is the Small Business Expo. I'm actually going to be out there, booth 425, uh, doing some interviews from some of the exhibitors and uh, attendees. It's a free to the public event at the Atlanta Convention Center. Going to be running all day long until uh, four. And I had a chance to catch up with the founder of the Small Business Expo. They offer uh, these types of exhibition type events around the country. They've got this one coming to Atlanta this week. So coming up, I'll let you listen in on my conversation with Zach Lesberg, and we'll learn a little bit more about the Small Business Expo. Check it out. Coming up next, we have Zach Lesberg of the Small Business Expo. They're coming to Atlanta on Thursday, December 10th, and the, the show is going to be running from 9.30 to 4 at the Atlanta Convention Center. I'm pleased to be joining them at the expo that is designed to provide a wealth of information and opportunities to advance your small business. It's free to the public for registration. And I'm excited to be out there interviewing some of the attendees as well as some of the exhibitors that are going to be providing some information for the small business experts. And Zach Lesberg, uh, the leader of the Small Business Expo that uh, goes around the country and sharing this information for small businesses around the country. Real pleased to have you joining us on the show to talk about what you all are up to. Thank you so much, CW. Really appreciate uh, you having me on the show. Very excited to be here. Well, obviously, the Small Business Expo is a a, a trade show for the small business community that you make available around the the country in a number of locations across the year. Tell me about how this got started. What's your background and and how did you come about deciding to launch the Small Business Expo? I actually, uh, I went to school for uh, film and theater producing <clears throat> with a minor in business management. Um, I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. I've always, you know, started my own business from when I was 10 years old. I started a DJ company. <laughs> so I've always had that entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, when I got up to New York City, um, I was working for a Broadway production company that produces Wicked, among many other shows. Um, and I actually launched a trade show called the Showbiz Expo which is a trade show and networking event for the entertainment industry. And that, you know, I felt that that was a very needed networking event for people getting into the business. Um, at that time, it was around when the recession was starting. It was around 2008, 2009. Um, so that industry was 
pretty much on the decline as far as spending uh, dollars on exhibiting in trade shows. So I quickly had to find out, you know, where my experience was, how I could launch another similar event. And at that time, people were, you know, getting laid off. They were starting their own businesses at home. Um, people were uh, just, you know, trying to figure out ways to survive. And that's why I came up with the idea of the Small Business Expo, uh, which was a trade show or is a trade show for anyone who started a small business or has plans to start a small business, entrepreneurs, already existing small businesses, and anyone that works for a small business. And they come to this show to network with each other, build business relationships, find new vendors that can help their business grow, uh, attend workshops and seminars that can help their business. It's all about promoting small business in the city that we're in. So in this case, Atlanta on December 10th. And from looking at the show's exhibitors and sponsors, obviously you're supported by a number of large organizations like ACT, uh, Power Team International. You have a lot of other major brands that are exhibiting and providing information and solutions for the small business community. Can you share some more information about some of the companies and solution providers that the small business attendees might look forward to linking up with? Absolutely. Um, we have a lot of great support from various companies, um, and we're very excited about their support. As you said, our two main presenting sponsors are ACT and Power Team International. Um, we also have GoDaddy. Um, we have AT&T, Bank of America. We have various email marketing companies like Benchmark Email and Vertical Response. Um, we have uh, various partners. We have the Atlanta Tribune. We have the Entrepreneurs Chamber of Commerce, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics the Women's Entrepreneurial um, Project. Um, so as you can tell, it ranges. We have companies that are from very small that you've never heard of before, all the way up to the big, huge companies like, you know, um, Geico and um, AT&Ts of the world. I think it's pretty impressive that you're able to offer this to the attendees as a free registration. You don't have to pay any sort of entrance fee to be able to attend this event. That's that's. I think Absolutely. Yeah, that's what it's nice all about. We, yep, we don't want to we don't want to uh, put any burden on the small business owner. We want people to come with, you know, high energy, great ideas. Um, you know, people come to this thing for a number of reasons. Uh, you know, they can network and, and go to workshops, but it's also about meeting and mingling with other people that have the same interests, which is, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit. Um and of course, obviously you partner with a lot of organizations who uh, can help you in terms of serving the the small business community. Obviously, uh, it fit right in with the uh, the mission of the Business Radio X Network, and we very much support the business community, including small businesses. We're like you; our guests that appear on our shows never pay to be here, and so we're really pleased to be able to link up with you and be able to provide some additional support. Maybe give some of these companies that are going to be coming out uh, possibly some media exposure. They might be able to link up with me when I'm there and be able to tell uh, a little bit about their company and what they're doing and maybe um, get some digital assets that they can then leverage to uh, to their benefit as well. So really pleased that you all reached out to us to be well, able to that you, uh, partner with you. Yeah, we're thrilled that you partnered with us. We, we, we thank you very much for your support. And there are some non nonprofits that are that are linking up with you as well. You want to talk about some of those? You mentioned some of the chambers. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so you know, a big part of our success in these cities is these local um, chambers of commerce, as well as media partners like you, that help us get the word out about these shows to their members or their subscribers or listeners. Um, we have company, um, sorry, nonprofits like uh, the Georgia Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Uh, we have Johnson University. Uh, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, specifically their Atlanta office, um, the U.S. Census Bureau, specifically their Atlanta office, the Urban League of Atlanta, the Women's Entrepreneurial Opportunity Project, so um, women in business. Um, we do get lots of partnerships um, that really help us build up this show. And obviously, you you provide, what is it, um, looking here, you have, what, 13, 14 different cities that you provide this kind of trade show offering to the small business community. That's pretty cool. Yeah, we're actually very excited to announce um, we're in 10 cities in 2015. Uh, we just This is our last show of the year. Um, but next year, we just announced four new cities. So we'll be in a total of 14, uh, which are Houston, uh, San Diego, Phoenix, and Minneapolis. 
And where do folks go? I know here with the network, we've been sending out information through our emailing list to the people that have been guests and, and hosts of shows on our network. So we're hopeful that some of the folks that have joined us in studio will come out and, and take advantage of the opportunity to uh, meet some of these sponsors and exhibitors, maybe move their business forward. Um, but where do they go if they want to link up and, and get registered for, for the upcoming show here in Atlanta or, or in some of the other cities? Because obviously Absolutely. many of our listeners are in Atlanta, but we are listened to from around the country. So uh, where do they go to get signed up? Absolutely. Yep. So anyone that wants to attend our shows, they are completely free to attend. Uh, you would just go to our website, thesmallbusinessexpo.com. So it's T-H-E, smallbusinessexpo.com. Uh, you would then just click on the city of your choice, which is at the top of our website, and there's a free link to register for each of these cities. Uh, if any of you are um, interested in exhibiting or sponsoring where you can actually showcase your product and service and, and get new leads and customers, that's also available on our website. Uh, you would click on the exhibit link. And we've been talking with Zach Lesberg, a producer for the Small Business Expo, as we mentioned, coming to Atlanta December 10th. That's Thursday, running from 9.30 to 4 p.m. at the Atlanta Convention Center. Make sure you get over and register for that free event where you can actually come out, interface with other businesses uh, here in the community, might find a, a new client or maybe a partner that can you, you can collaborate with for your small business. Stop by the uh, Business Radio X. I'll be uh, doing some uh, walking man on the street, stopping by some of the booths there to interview some of the sponsors and exhibitors that are going to be there. But I'll also be providing opportunities for the business attendees to be able to stop by and share some of the information about their particular business. And then also you can link up with the Small Business Expo on Twitter at the Biz B I Z the Biz Expo and on Facebook at facebook.com slash small business expo. Make sure you follow them there. We'll be doing that too. Uh, if you've not done so already with the Midtown Business Radio Show, you can find us at Midtown BRX on Twitter. And we're also on Facebook, Midtown BRX as well. And we'll be tied in with uh, Zach and his team there at the Small Business Expo. And we look forward to seeing everybody coming out on Thursday. We hope to uh, see as many people as we possibly can. And I really want to say to uh, Zach. Thanks so much for joining us today. And I hope to uh, connect with you. You're going to be there, I guess, in person on on Thursday. That's great. We'll we'll make sure that we link up with you and meet you face to face uh, while we're at the show. And uh, anything we need to uh, cover that we haven't got to just yet? No, I mean, I really, again, thank you so much for having us on your wonderful show. Uh, We definitely appreciate your support. Um, Just come with a lot of business cards. Uh, be ready to network. It's a big day of uh, lots of networking, attending some great workshops and seminars, and uh, checking out all the exhibitors. And if you've been listening to us on the podcast, make sure you go to the Apple logo top left corner of the show page. That'll take you to the Midtown Business Radio Show podcast. Subscribe to us there. That way, every new episode is downloaded straight to your device, ready for your drive to work or walking the dog, whatever the case may be for you. And turn around and share this with your social media networks because you might just put some information in the hands of somebody that you care about that really helps them and their business. So we hope you do that. And uh, to Zach Lexberg at the Small Business Expo, hey, thanks for joining us on the show today and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you on thursday man thanks a lot we appreciate it and uh, to everybody out there that made us a part of their day today we really appreciate you we'll see you all same time same place next week we'll see you then